I think the vision is to have have the sport be more well-known globally and have it be something that people get excited to watch. So that's making it easy to watch on TV. You know, Daytona was a really good venue for making it easily televised. Um, so, so getting the sport out there and making it exciting for people to watch. I mean, people need to get to know us and the athletes. And I mean, that's why doing podcasts are so great. You guys help share our stories. But yeah, elevating the profiles of athletes and having regular, maybe like a handful of big races that are televised and, you know, get good viewership. And that would provide opportunities for sponsors to be more supportive. Like the sponsor game is quite difficult to make a living. I will say that. Yeah, I think seven, 10 years down the road, we would hope to see more athletes making like a respectable living. And I mean, I don't need a $200 million contract with Uniqlo like uh, Roger Federer, but like, you know... Even just to make a living would be nice. So, um, yeah, I think that's something that I personally think would be a really big accomplishment. Welcome back to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. We are Jess and BJ, and we're on a mission to create a better world. The YTP is the place where we share stories of people looking, finding, and living their purpose. Folks who have followed their hearts taken risks, and realized that living their dreams comes with all sorts of highs and lows, just like every path in life. But there's something special about that path of purpose that just keeps us forging ahead. We are all here on purpose. We all serve a purpose, and we believe it is our responsibility to seek its fulfillment because you matter. Your energy matters, and your existence is critical to the fabric of humanity. So we all need more of you. Today, we're graced with the presence of Sky Monch, professional triathlete, dog mom, and someone who left her full-time job to follow a belief that she could be really good at triathlon. 2016 was her first year as a professional, but it wasn't until 2018 that she started to feel she was really beginning to tap into her potential. Over the past few years, she's gained much familiarity around the podium and put her name on the map in lights when she took the win in Frankfurt and was named the 2019 European Ironman champion. She followed up that amazing day with a win at Boulder 70.3 some five weeks later. 2019 was no doubt a dazzling year for Sky, and it set her up to land a PTO ranking of 10th in the world amongst her peers. Her resume is impressive, but for us, it was her energy that captured our attention. We followed her race at the Bear Lake Brawl this year, or last year, actually, because it's 2021 now. Yay! And listened to her share her story with Bob Babbitt just days before claiming a sixth-place finish at Challenge Daytona, which was arguably the most competitive field we've ever seen in the sport. There was just something about her tone that drew us in, and today we're hoping to draw more of that good energy out for you guys. So, Sky, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, thanks for having me. And that was such a nice intro. Yeah. Well, you know, we just, we loved your energy and um, heard you on Bob and, you know, followed you at Bear Lake and we've been following you on social and listened to some of the podcasts, you know, doing our, doing our due diligence leading into yeah. this, into this conversation. And it's always like, we just follow our hearts and our intuition when we invite people to be on the show and listening to podcasts and hearing you share your story and, and the highs and the lows and how you yeah. navigate those were really something that we wanted to share more of because mindset is, is such a, oh man, it's such yeah. a big piece, right? Like body yes. follows mind. Yes. Yes. No, I'm, I'm flattered. Um, yeah. I'm excited to chat knowing that all that background of why you wanted me on here, like that warm fuzzies. I'm excited to chat. <laughs> Very cool. Well, let's dive into Daytona. You know, I kind yeah. of made a, a claim there that I felt like it was the most competitive field I have ever seen in the sport of triathlon. And I think because of the variety, but yeah. what was your perspective on it? Yeah, I definitely felt the same going into it. I just knew that that was going to be the biggest race, biggest field, most varied field I'd ever been a part of. You know, several names on that start list that. I knew very well, but had never had the opportunity to race. Um, you know, like Nicholas Spirig, Olympic champion. She does short course. I do long course. We've never crossed paths. So, um, you know, and she's, that's just one example. It, it was really exciting for me to uh, have that opportunity to race that field. Um, yeah, especially in 2020. So, how did, you, um, how did you approach, so knowing all that, that stacked up field, I know some people, you've got the visual cue of Lionel who like was just hammering away at, you know, 5K intensity yeah. and 10K pace. Yeah. How did you, uh, how did you change any of your training or, or, or your relationship with who was lining up against the field, realizing that really all you can control was what you can control? 
Yeah, I don't know that we necessarily changed anything specific. Um, you know, there was a lot of chatter about the short course people going to dominate the long course people. But in my head, I knew how tough a flat time trial position bike is. And I know how hard I train in the time trial position. So I was actually excited um, to kind of go prove that. Like, you know, I'm a true long course athlete. I've, I didn't come through the ITU ranks. Um, so yeah, I certainly trained really hard, swim, bike, and run. Obviously, I knew there would be a lot of good swimmers, um, but that was exciting for me. You know, I'm not a first out of the water swimmer. I'm not a terrible swimmer, but I knew that it would be a really good opportunity to get on some good feet in the swim. So I was excited for the big, huge field. Like I, I just knew it would be easier to swim with a pack when there's that many competitors. Um, but I knew I'd have to go really hard to even get with the pack. So I guess, I guess it was more of a mental preparation. Like my training didn't really change I don't feel like um, maybe a bit more intensity overall but I felt really well prepared and just needed to execute on the day and be mentally prepared for you know a, a race like none other yeah how did you mentally prepare what does that look like for you leading into a race like challenge yeah um I think for me mentally preparing to like be at peace with how bad it may hurt to like be where I want to be. But also a big thing is just confidence. Like you have to believe in yourself because if you're, you know, if you're beating yourself up or thinking you're not good enough, like that's what is going to transpire on race day. Um, I remember having a conversation with one of my training partners uh, the month leading into the race. And um, we were just talking about confidence. And I said to her, you know, for her and for me, like we can't let, confidence be the only difference between us and the women who are beating us. Don't let confidence be the reason we're not going to be higher up the ranks, you know? So yeah, I guess the short answer is mental preparation for me is confidence. And so when those, because someone's saying like, that's, that's great. You're at that professional level. You've proven you've, you've so being confident's a little more um, uh, tipping the scale towards you. But when you have I'm yeah. sure you're human and you have yes, the, moment, <laughs> the moments of like, oh boy, what, what have I got myself into? Or you're in the depths of a workout and you're like, I don't know if I'm going to get that fifth or sixth interval in. Is there a tool you use to pull yourself to the moment or out of that, that thinking pattern that's not serving you? Yeah, um, I guess it depends what angle I need to come at. You know, like when things get hard, a lot of times, or, or say in a workout, I'm not maybe where I think I should be on the bike, maybe in say Watts or whatever, or on a run, the pace. I just tell myself that, you know, I remind myself that every day can't be a gold medal winning training session. And um, if, as long as I'm doing the best I can, then I, I'm going to be satisfied with the session. Um, but I also will draw on past experiences, you know, like in, in a race, I'll draw on past tough training sessions or even past tough life experiences. Um, like I did Ironman Florida at the beginning of November and I, going into that race, I, I thought of, you know, what mental cues I was going to use to help, help me push because Ironman's very painful in a different way than like a fast race like Daytona. And yeah, so like at Ironman Florida, I thought about a really bad bike crash I had and, you know, how overcoming the injuries and the challenges of that, like, that hurt worse than, you know, the last 10K of a marathon. And that kind of helps bring me out of whatever I'm feeling in the moment. So yeah, there's, there's all kinds of mental tricks I uh, try to use. <laughs> it's so, and I like how you put that. Like it really is mental tricks because what I remind yeah. people all the time is like the mind is tricky. It's it so <laughs> tricky. And so you've got to be kind of like a, even a better trickster. Because when we think about mental training, it's like the only thing we have to train ourselves mentally is our mental state. So it's like we're trying mm -hmm. to train the part of us that is distorted. Like we're trying to heal or up-level the part of us that is the very issue. Yeah. It's so weird when you think about that. I know. I know, but it's so powerful too. Like once you realize, and I'm not perfect at it, like I, I catch myself all the time maybe in a in a funk that I know I need to get out of. And I know like mentally I can get myself out of it, but it's just having that willpower to do it, you know? 
Um, yeah. yeah, you got to choose. Like yeah. you have to. Like, you really do. Yeah, you do. You have to choose, and that's where I think that um, you know it's it's not uh, it's not like oh well you're so lucky because you're so positive, and it's like well no yeah it, no <laughs> like you have to assert your will to say I'm not going to yeah. live this way anymore, or yeah. like that's not a belief that I care to indulge. Um, yeah, because like we said at the beginning, like body follows mind. It follows mind, 100%. It really does. So how did your day go at Daytona? I mean, it just felt like it was like, it really was like the Oscars. I mean, it was just, everybody was shiny and bright. and It really was so cool. I mean, I've thought about it even in hindsight. It's been about a month now. And it was just so cool to be there with all those big names. And then like the PTO just treated us like royalty. We had all these photo shoots. And then, you know, Bob Babbitt there doing interviews with us. And um Everyone was just so close. We were all staying right by uh, the speedway. Anyway, so like even leading up to the race, just know it felt like the Oscars, right? Like it was just, (laughs) it was so fun. Um, But then race day, it was really nice. We had a late start. So you kind of got to like ease into the morning um, versus being up at 3 a.m. zombie mode, getting ready for a race. So um, for me personally, though, I was really calm and just excited I was, I was a little nervous leading into the race, but, you know, the night before the race, I just decided I don't need to put pressure on myself. Like I swim, bike and run every single day. And I'm just going to go do that again here at this big race on this big stage. Um, so yeah, I was in a really good mental place leading into the race. Um, just a quick step-by-step, like the swim, I got a really good start. It was definitely chaos. So many swimmers, but like I mentioned, I knew that if I just swam hard, and could get on some fast feet, then I would be able to hang on um, through the swim, just have to get through the first initial chaos of a swim start. Um, and I was able to do that. I was quite happy with where I came out of the swim. Um, so yeah, swim went well, got on the bike, and just knew that I had to bike hard and you know get get as close to the front as I could. I knew I wouldn't be at the front coming out of the swim. So yeah, I think I executed the bike pretty well. Um, of course, in hindsight, I can look back and think, oh, maybe I should have pushed a little harder. But in the moment, I really felt like I was doing everything. And I was a little nervous on the bike, to be honest, because, you know, we're on that speedway and there was a lot of room. Like, it wasn't like we were all stacked in there. I think a lot of people were nervous about having 40 athletes on this tiny track, but it really wasn't the case. However, I was still very nervous about passing athletes and the 20 meter draft rule and just making sure I was very intentional and not risking some penalty that would cost me two minutes or five minutes um, if you got two. So I was a little bit, I was a little nervous of that the whole time on the bike, to be honest, um, but just really tried to play it safe. And then, yeah, I, I didn't know where I was on the bike. I figured I was pretty close to the front given the women I was around. But yeah, I had no idea exactly where I was until probably like lap three on the run. I finally saw on the d- Jumbotron that like Paula Finley was in the lead and I could hear uh, Belinda Granger's voice talking about how she was leading the race by like three minutes or something or probably more. And then I figured, oh, okay, so she's in the, f- Paula's winning. And then I knew, I could see who was in front of me at that point. Like I knew who I got off the bike with and Anyway, I kind of did the math, and I'm like, okay, I think I'm in fifth or sixth at the time. So anyway, I just ran hard, and yeah, the run was the run didn't feel as good as I was hoping it would, but I think it was still a good run, so <laughs> yeah. How does one do math on, on the run? Because that always seems to be challenging. Well, I'm an accountant <laughs> by um, education, so math comes really naturally to me. <laughs> I actually love doing math during races and workouts. So I'm very used to like crunching numbers as I'm training or racing. Um, that's, that's my strength, I guess. That is <laughs> such a gift. That is Because there's been times I've been out there, I'm like, oh my God, am I going to make the cutoff? You know, yeah. or I think I might win. I might actually win. Like nobody's yeah. around. And then you're like, whoa, whoa, hold on a second. Two plus yeah. four is not 20. Yeah. Um, so, but I mean, like there was no room for error. So I was looking no. at the results today. I mean, I think it was like you were, it was like 40 seconds off from fifth place and like a yes. minute from seventh. And then it was like yep. eighth was right there and ninth was right there. And really yep. like, from Paula to like 25th place was only about 15 minutes, which is, I think that's pretty insane. That just shows how every second counted. And a penalty is, I mean, detrimental. 
Huge. And that's why I was so careful on the bike and so paranoid, to be honest. I was definitely paranoid that whole ride just because I knew oh, two minutes, that's, that's 10 places at least. Like that's mm-hmm. going to just kill me if anything happens. And yeah, I definitely, I guess that's one way I mentally prepared as well for this race is just understanding that every second would count. And I was literally practicing putting my socks and shoes on like the night before in my hotel room and timing it just making sure that I, like, mentally it was ingrained, like, okay, when I grab my shoe and my finger goes in this loop and then, you know, just slide it on, I just needed the muscle memory just to be so ready because, I mean, it, fortunately, I mean, not fortunately, but, yeah, I was 40 seconds behind the Amelia, who was in front of me, um, but it could have been 10 seconds. And if I would have looked back and seen, like, oh, if I just would have put my shoes on faster, (laughs) you know, or run through transition faster. That would have been frustrating. But yeah, I feel, I feel good about everything I did to prepare. So what can you say about the, um, the performance of Paula? Um, cause we had just had Paula and Eric on there and she seemed pretty calm and collected. What was your perspective of that? I will say leading into the race, uh, I saw Paula and even race morning, I saw Paula and Paula looked extremely fit. And it's not all about what you look like, but like you can just tell when someone's like had a really good training and she just seemed calm. And, you know, I've raced Paula for the last few years and just looking at her and I'm not meaning just physically, but just everything like Mm. you could just tell, um, at least I could, I I thought, oh, Paula's probably going to just go freaking win this. I mean, I knew she's comes from ITU and just, she's, she's a great athlete. And, um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I probably would have bet something on her winning uh, yeah, the day I, before. So you I weren't was, surprised. You no. Weren't surprised. no, I wasn't surprised. And I was so happy for her. Honestly, Paula's so lovely. Um, I mean, most people are very lovely in the sport. So, but yeah, Paula's so nice and calm and humble and Yeah. Yeah, I think I was really surprised at hearing how some people were like, "Oh, she's an unknown." I'm like, "An unknown? Like you no. just you are they just looking at stats cuz like she's happy. She uh is in love. She has yeah. like there's something to be said about being yes. rested and not having all those withdrawals from the fitness bank and of course yeah. she became a dog mom this year. So no, there's please. a lot of positives. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, yeah, and and that's a really good point. Like she I mean, I haven't spoken personally with Paula about this. You guys have, but she was like being in a really, really good mental state is so important to executing races. Like you just can't, you can't be in a bad mental state and be strong for a race. Like it's really, really hard to do, at least not (laughs) consistently. Maybe you could pull it off here or there. So yeah, I mean, having, making the most of this year and then staying fit and mentally being in a good place, she obviously just came out and executed amazingly. I guess in hindsight, I was a little surprised and not to discount Paula. She's an amazing athlete all around, but I was, I was surprised like how off the front they were on the bike, which I didn't know in the race. But then looking back, I'm like, wow, they really wrote a lot of time into everyone, Mm -hmm. uh, Paula and um, Lisa. So, I mean, kudos to Paula, all her garage indoor training really paid off so (laughs) what do you do you do anything daily to kind of remind yourself to keep that mental state like tip top and nice and polished um I just I try to just like live my best life every day and um yeah just make sure that everything I'm doing is making me happy and like making sure it's getting me where I want to go. And that sounds really selfish, but like, it's everything. Um, yeah. If there's something that's bothering me or that may be like in the back of my head, keeping me from really focusing on my sessions or something, like I need to address that. Right. So I guess for me, it's kind of like not having anything in my life that I feel needs to be improved or addressed, like a negative, maybe a weird vibe with a friend or something, you know, just little things that can really add up, like don't have, things that like, if you need to clear the air with anyone or anything, just kind of address it. I, that's just something I've really been trying to practice lately. Um, but yeah, generally I just, I try to stay positive. And again, I'm not perfect. Like I was in a funk two days ago over something and I had to like pull myself out of it. But, um, yeah, just, just trying to keep it all happy. So in, um, so in your 
I think you had a few videos on your on your YouTube channel, and, and Matt's yeah. your husband, right, Matt? Yes, Matt. <laughs> and so he asks you every day, or you guys have this agreement where you ask if you're living your yeah. your best, best life. life. Have you ever, have you ever said no? Have you ever said not right well, now, and <laughs> and then shift? <laughs> well, I don't know that we've ever actually said no, but like sometimes I've said yes and like laughed. But I guess the idea of asking ourselves that all the time is that it's kind of a check, right? Like okay, am I? And then just realizing, it's also kind of helping us realize like how fortunate we are to ask ourselves, like, are we living our best lives? And obviously if we genuinely weren't and we were in a really terrible place, like we wouldn't just be like, yeah, everything's good. We're living our best life. But um, yeah, when the mindset, we actually, we got our license plate to say best life. Like that's, <laughs> that's kind that's of our awesome. thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's kind of just a it's just kind of a mindset, right? Like it's not just oh, I'm, is this literally the best life possible? Some people maybe wouldn't think so, but to us, like if we believe we're living our best life and we're genuinely always trying to live our best life, then um, it feels like we are. So yeah. Well, that's the that's the mindfulness practice. He's yeah. he, You guys are each reminding yourselves daily that this is something that's important to you, and yeah. if it ever shifts in another way, yeah. you're onto it so quickly that. You can make adjustments so that you're you're back in line with what's what's bringing you happiness. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. And I think that's something. Um, I mean, in a relationship, two people. I think that's something I've really brought to our relationship. Like, I'm very much not afraid of like not confrontation per se, but just like like I said earlier, if there's if there's an issue in my mind that I see, then I want to address it. Like, so you know, if there's something between my husband and I that I'm like, we need to talk about this. Like I just address it head on. I'm like, I'm not going to sit and stew over this. So uh, that's part of us living our best life. So yeah. And I, I think it's, it's like life is so precious. It's so yeah. precious. And I yes. know you, you had already mentioned that you had that um, pretty hard bike crash and it's yes. like um, being so thankful for every day that you get. And by, yep. by saying like, are you living your best life for to me, that's just this reminder, like no matter what's happening in my circumstances, am mm-hmm. I doing the best I can in this life? Like, am I living my best life right now? Even, I don't know, even though I'm cold and uncomfortable yes. <laughs> yes. or something like that, or I'm, I'm sad or, or I'm sick of wearing a mask. Like, yeah, I yeah. am. Cause I'm doing my best right now. And that's, that's exactly it, right? Like it's, yeah, it's the reminder and living, yeah, living the best that you can with what you have. I mean, that's all we can do. So yeah. we're, we're big on that. So yeah, yeah. you nailed it. Let's, um, let's switch gears a little bit from the Oscars to the Bear Lake Brawl, which was like oh, yes. super bare bones. I just <laughs> yes. loved it. Like what a return to racing, like just gritty and talk about cold. Freezing. Um, but you had, and I don't, I don't really know, but I, to the detail, but you had a hand in, in kind of putting that together, didn't you? I did. Yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah. So I, um, I'm a member of the PTO and I serve on the athlete board for the PTO. And, um, you know, the professional triathletes organization came out and said, we want to help support some local races and put in prize purses so professionals can race. So, um, another pro in Utah, uh, Nick Chase, he said, he brought it to my attention. He's like, hey, I'm going to email Bear Lake or the PTO and see if we could get this to be a pro race. And I'm like, oh, that's a great idea. I'd never done the Bear Lake Brawl, but I've been to Bear Lake and I know it's like a pretty amazing venue. Um, so yeah, I worked with the PTO and Nick and kind of coordinated it all with the uh, PTO and the race director just to make sure, you know, we had everything set up for a good pro race. And you know, we definitely did everything we could. And then of course, like come race day, it's the worst weather day probably all year, right? Like the day before, they were lovely, just like lovely weather. And then the day of, it was like hail, uh, rain, freezing, just, yeah, it was, I, I mean, it was hard for me not to feel responsible, but I had to remind myself, like, I'm not mother nature. Like I would not have wished that upon the race or any of the racers. Um so yeah, I I definitely had a hand in getting it going and I did not have a hand in the weather though. So, yeah. <laughs> we won't hold you responsible for that. But Thank you had, you. <laughs> you had a great you had a great finish um that day as well yeah. under super tough conditions. 
Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest. I've never um, not finished a race. And that race, I was legitimately not sure if I would be able to finish. Like, by the end of the bike, I was, my chin and everything was, like, shivering. I couldn't control my bike. Like, it was crazy. My, I think my brain was, like, getting affected <laughs> by that point. You know, like, when it gets yeah. to you. <laughs> but I'm like, no, I can't quit. Like, if I can just get off the bike, as long as I can get off the bike, like, I can, I, I know I'll warm up on the run. It's not like the air temperature was so cold that I wouldn't warm up running. Um, but, you know, on the bike, if you're wet and it's cold, you're just... I slowed down so much at the end just because I couldn't. Anyway, it was crazy, but I I did it. So, <laughs> and it brought the first race. It was pretty much the exactly. first race out of all this like uncertainty where everybody could gather yes. and and you pulled because it is. Um, I mean, you have to pull your resources to pull in the professional athletes. You need to email yes. them and text them and yes. get Sam along. Like, come on up and. It was a ton of work. Yeah, <laughs> hours, hours, and hours. <laughs> but but we all fun. came together. Yeah, it all yeah. like. Could you feel the appreciation of the athletes that, oh, just thank you. Like, yes. we're finally doing something yes. that resembles some sort of normalcy in, in our lives. Yeah, I felt like the athletes were really appreciative. And I think we all, you know, despite the conditions just being completely ugly, um, I think any other race may have been like canceled at that point. But I think everyone wanted to race so bad. We were like, no, I don't even care. Like, I'll get hypothermia. I just want to freaking race. So, I think we all kind of had that perspective of like, we'll take whatever we can. Um, but yeah, it was, it was cool. And it, it was just nice to be a part of something again with the athletes. Like I just miss that feeling, feeling like a professional triathlete and feeling part of the triathlon community. I think that was just the biggest gift that we all got um, outside of just being able to race and earn a little bit of prize money. So yeah, and I mean, speaking of gifts, it, it may seem like bad timing that the PTO really got put together in 2020, but I think yes. that it, um, like Bear Lake Brawl and being able to, you know, get paid to race because you are professionals mm -hmm. and you should get paid to race. Yes. <laughs> um, I feel like it was such a gift, um, but what's your perspective on what the PTO has, you know, afforded you this year? Yeah, I mean, the, personally, the PTO has afforded me a lot. I've definitely personally benefited having the higher rank. You know, they paid out the um, bonus at the beginning of the year. The end of year bonus got paid out early because, you know, the PTO saw that we wouldn't be able to race. Um, and then Daytona was an incredible prize purse. So, yeah, like financially I've benefited, but also just personally um, as a triathlete, I feel very... I feel a part of something and I feel like there's a lot of hope for the sport, especially from the professional perspective. Um, you know, we love the age groupers and we love, I love the community and everything, but it's definitely like, it just feels so nice to feel like there's people who are working hard to help elevate the sport for the professionals, which ultimately elevates the sport for everyone. Um, so yeah, it's, I feel very fortunate that I, you know, I'm not, I still have years left in my professional career where I can, you know, help be a part of this and, you know, help see it through. And I, I hope the PTO continues to be successful and that we as like a PTO group, because um, it is a we thing, right? Like I'm a PTO member. It's, they, they're constantly reminding us it's our organization. Um, so yeah, I hope we, the PTO, we can all, you know, get where we want to go. And I think we all understand that it's going to take time, like any, any business, any, or not that the PTO is necessarily a business, but any, anything that you want to accomplish doesn't happen in one year. So I think what the PTO has done this year is the best they could have done and certainly has been on the very generous side of what they could have done. So where do you see, what's your pie in the sky for like five, you know, five or seven to 10 years down the road with this, with this impact on the sport of triathlon from the PTO? Yeah, well, I think the vision is to have, have the sport be more well-known globally and have it be something that people get excited to watch. So that's making it um, easy to watch on TV. You know, Daytona was a really good venue for making it mm -hmm. easily televised. Um, so, so getting the sport out there and making it exciting for people to watch. I mean, people need to get to know us and the athletes. And I mean, that's why doing podcasts are so great. You guys help share our stories, but 
yeah, elevating the profiles of athletes um, and having regular, maybe like a handful of big races that are televised and, you know, get good viewership. And that would provide opportunities for sponsors to be more supportive. Like the sponsor game is quite difficult to make a living. I will say that. Yeah, I think seven, 10 years down the road, we would hope to see more athletes making like a respectable mm-hmm. living. And I mean, I don't need a $200 million contract with a Uniqlo like uh, Roger Federer, but like, <laughs> you know, even just to make a living would be nice. So um, yeah, I think that's something that I personally think would be a really big accomplishment, but yeah. I just keep thinking about all the... Um the professionals that came before you, you know, yes, like 10 years yes. ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. And when it really, you know, it was so difficult. And it, and I'm not saying it's it wasn't difficult before the PTO or it isn't still difficult yeah. for a lot of professional mm-hmm. triathletes that are, you know, maybe ranked 50, 60. Um, but, to, but do you hold a bit of gratitude for those who just continued to follow their passion, even though it wasn't, they, they weren't getting quote unquote, their due, you know, that they kept this alive. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because there certainly are a lot of athletes who have come before, you know, me and the generation I'm in of professional triathlon, but I've also heard from other pros that it's gotten harder. Like it used to be easier to get sponsors and, um, you know, some of the big races have come and gone that have paid out big prize purses. Um, but yeah, I've, from what I hear, I mean, I'm, I have only been in the sport, like really in the sport for like six, six or seven years. What are we at now? Um, but, um, it seems like sponsorship is getting harder, but it's, it's just an interesting dynamic. Um, like with things just change so much social media and we have YouTube channels and we have, you know, now it's like, Oh, how many followers do you have kind of thing. And, um, whereas before I think it was like, if you're a good, if you perform well, um, then you got sponsors, right? Because nothing, there wasn't a number of followers behind your name or something. Mm -hmm. So, but I do have a lot of gratitude, absolutely, for the athletes who, you know, did this out of like the love for the sport. And honestly, like I have to remind myself of that when I, when I'm rejected, right? From sponsors, like I have to remember why I'm doing it. And I think, um, yeah, if I wanted to do this to get rich, I'd probably just go back to do doing accounting if I really wanted like the stable income and the whatever, you know? So yeah, I think it's nice to have other athletes to like draw that strength on, I guess, or strength Mm -hmm. from. So yeah. Um, Let's talk about your background. Like what got you into, what got you into sport? Did you love sports as a child? Um, it's interesting because I wasn't like a big sport kid. I wasn't enrolled in, you know, 20 sports growing up. Um, I did, it's funny when I was really young, I did some gymnastics and stuff, but I was never like a phenomenal youth, like youth athlete at anything, but I got into running pretty young. Um, my sister was into running and my dad coached like a track and field local kind of team. So running was always something that was a part of my life and I enjoyed it. And, you know, I did it in junior high, high school, but again, like I wasn't like all state cross country champion or anything like that. I'm like pretty average, but I liked doing it. Um, and I ran a marathon when I was 16 with a neighbor. So I've been like addicted to endurance and the endorphins for, I mean, since I was 15 or 16, so that's that's really what kind of got me into the endurance and triathlon scene. Um, and then yeah. how did um, how did the uh, the job come into this? How did the tax mm. uh, the tax position come into this? If you yeah. were uh, you know having fun in sports, and did you have a have to strike a balance with that early on? Yeah, well, I guess running just became a thing that I really liked to do. It was definitely like my mental outlet, huge mental outlet for me. Um, I, I kind of got to the point where it's like, if I didn't run in a day, I just felt so ornery. Like I just needed to go break a sweat and then we're good, you know? Um, so yeah, I just kept up running all through school. And then I mean, I don't have a trust fund or anything. So like I had to work, (laughs) you know, I, I had to work through school and then I got a job and it just seemed like, you know, I settled into this great career, um, 
in accounting with the big four and, you know, kind of opens any kind of door you want in accounting or finance world. Um, but how that came into play, like, I just got bored at it, I guess. Like, I didn't feel challenged enough. And that's where I, I love challenging myself athletically, even through all of that. Like, I did a lot of half marathons or, like, local hill climbs on the bike sort of thing, some triathlons. And I just knew that was something I really, really loved to challenge myself on. But I'd never had a coach, like, a proper coach outside of, like, a high school cross-country coach. Um, so... Yeah, that's where like my self-belief came in and I just had this crazy idea that I thought chasing triathlon as a professional would be more fun than doing taxes at my desk 12 hours a day. So, <laughs> <laughs> did you have when you made that decision were there people like like sky no, do, like do not go down this path. Well, you know, that's the benefit of being like completely financially and everything independent. Like I didn't have to answer to anyone but myself. Um so yeah, I was completely self-supported financially. And obviously I would gain a lot of mental and emotional support from family and friends. But like, I think the financial decision is the big one with professional triathlon because it's an extremely expensive sport and then extremely difficult to make a living at. So yeah, I talked to friends and family about it. And, but I, I, again, it was my decision to be made. So like I would tell people and no one was like, oh, that sounds like a really bad idea. Most people I had some friends that were like, absolutely do this. Like YOLO, you only get one shot. I wish I would have done, you know, been a little more daring. But then, you know, I do feel like maybe some people who are a little like older and wiser in my life, maybe like in-laws or parents or my boss, they were supportive, but you could tell, at least I felt like they were like, okay, like what, like whatever you got to do, get this out of your system. Like, I mean, obviously they knew I was a, a very ambitious and hardworking person. There was, I hadn't like failed at anything big up until that, like at that point in my life, I'd accomplished a fair bit, but I don't think people understood, like necessarily understood why I would want to quit like this um, steady job to just chase this dream, you know, but, but like, that's not their decision to be made. It was me. I'm the one who has to like live with myself and live with, these gut feelings that I have every day. Mm. So, and um, you're you're really determined. You just said that you're ambitious, and I'm glad you gave yourself that that kudo because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you kind of grazed over. Like, you know, I worked during college, but I yeah. I read um, you know that your parents had said you know we don't have you know the money basically yeah. to send you to your dream school, and you went out and you got three jobs and you got your oh, yeah. bachelor's and your master's and you walked away debt free. Oh yeah, that was like, that's still one of the things I'm most proud of. And um, I worked really, really hard and I'm not, this is no offense to anyone listening or anyone's decisions with how they support their children or not. But I just feel like it's really easy for, it would have been really easy for my parents to maybe say, you know what? Yeah, we'll take out some loans so that you can just like live and enjoy the college life. But I really enjoyed it. And I didn't, I didn't suffer because of it. Like I actually grew so much. My time management was unreal. Like, because I wanted to do my schoolwork and I wanted to earn money so I could pay for everything. But then I still wanted to spend time with my roommates and friends and be social. So it's, it's like you find a way when you're forced into it. Um, and that's honestly something I still enjoy now. Like <laughs> I, I took on more tax accounting contract work, last year when there was like no racing going on because I just needed something to force my hand to be like more productive and um, more like occupied in my mind, if that makes sense. Like, anyways, I just think, I think had I just had this handout, it wouldn't have meant as much to me, like my education or any of the sacrifices I made. And I just think the fact that I own that completely really showed me that I'm capable of anything I want to do. And, you know, that's probably what gave me the guts to go part-time at my job and chase triathlon because I'm like, well, I can do it. I'll find a way. Um, I know, I know how hard I can work. And that's, that's kind of, when people ask me my background with sport, I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I've been running for a really long time, but really like my background is hard work. Like I just know how to work hard and that's, 
that's a lot of it. So where does that come from? Like, where does this determinism and also this kind of this baked in uh, bit of optimism that you have with yeah. your parents? Is it somebody growing up, or is it just is it just hmm. you? Um. Well, I think part of it is just me, but also like I didn't I didn't have a super you know, charmed upbringing. I, um, my parents are great, but like my parents went through a pretty messy divorce. And so like, I didn't, I didn't necessarily grow up in a super ideal household. And again, like it's not, I'm not going to make it seem like it's something it wasn't. I, I never went without, like I, I had everything I needed. I had great family support, but it wasn't necessarily like this American dream, um, upbringing. So I think, I think I just learned early on that like, things, I can't control things around me. I can't control if my parents are getting divorced. I can't control if I have to move countries in the middle of middle school and like have to make friends and, you know, just like, just things that make growing up tough. Like I moved a fair bit. Um, I don't know, you know, not, not getting everything I wanted when I wanted it. Cause like my parents couldn't afford it or something like that. And again, like I didn't grow up in poverty, but they just weren't willing to just do anything from their, like ruin their financial situation just so I could have the latest and greatest or whatever. So I just think, I think I just realized that, um, life was going to be what I made it. And I do remember though, like even in college, um, or shortly after I graduated from university, like I had, I had my job secured. I had my master's degree. I had no debt. Like I was in a really good position. Um, And I was 22 years old or something, like really good position. And um, I was still kind of, I remember getting in a like sad place because I just moved cities by myself. I didn't have a lot of friends and I was just in a grind. Like I ran, I went to work and I studied for my CPA exams and it was just kind of depressing. Like not, and I don't want to use that word lightly, but like, I just wasn't in a good mood all the time. And my mom just said to me like, you have so much to be grateful for. Like you just need to look around and see what you have. And like, you should, you, you can't complain like where you're at. You've worked really hard. You're an amazing, you can, you know, you've accomplished all these things. Some people would kill to be in your position. And I think that's another thing that kind of woke me up when I was in my early twenties. Like, okay, yeah, I don't know. Like, it's, it's kind of like you need these reminders. Um, so anyway, that's a long answer. I've rambled on. No. But oh my gosh. I love that. Yeah, was, I think, <laughs> I think yeah, people really appreciate that. Yeah. 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 Um, but you know, we need, we need that contrast. We need those kind mm-hmm. of low dips and those wake up calls. Um, and I think it also goes to show, you know, so many people are like, well, if I just had more money, if I just had more money, I just, and, and there is a yeah. comfort level uh, that that of provides, course. but it, a comfort level does not equal happiness. And, no. um, and gratitude is a muscle that we must flex because we can gloss over a lot of the beauty in our life because it's normalized. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, I think that's something that I've really tried to ingrain in, in just everything. I mean, there's so many little things to be grateful for. So mm-hmm. you just have to think about them. Um, yeah. <laughs> In that contrast, I'd like, like that just mentioned that the contrast. So you can see sometimes when people aren't grateful, you know, they, they mm-hmm. feel they're obligated or they they feel like their right is to have something. And so mm-hmm. that contrast, at least in my experience, it exercises the muscle within me to be even more gracious and to come back to like, yeah, I can see that. I can respect that that's where they are. But I'm just so thankful and grateful that mm-hmm. I'm physically capable of of pulling myself out from a, a, a devastating crash to come back and mm-hmm. perform probably better than ever in my life. Yeah. And it kind of comes full circle to what we were talking about earlier, like living your best life. Like that's also just like a gratitude thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like um, feeling grateful for everything you have and that's why you're living your best life sort of thing. But yeah, absolutely. The contrast um, is huge. Yeah, yeah, we need it. And you and and as a professional athlete, you're going to get contrast all over the, the oh, yeah. course. Like you're going to get contrast <laughs> yeah. in every training session. Yeah. Um So let's ta- actually talk a little bit about your training. What did you did you tra- you trained already this morning? Yeah, um, I had the two and a half hour bike workout. Nice. Yeah. How was that? 
It was good. Yeah, we're we're just slowly building back up. I had a couple weeks like completely off after Daytona and then, you know, we got to the holidays and I just had like one or two little sessions a day. Um, so yeah, we're kind of building back up trying to get an idea for what maybe we can plan on in 2021, but as you know, that's difficult. So, yeah, I'm just enjoying training. It's all a little more painful than you'd want it to be right now because I'm not as fit as I was a month ago. But um, yeah, I love training and I love the structure and mm-hmm. the endorphins. I love it all. So, yep. So what is the structure of your bike? Like what, what does today look like in terms of intensity oh, yeah. or, or intervals just to shed a light on yeah. what people are doing in the soft season? Yeah, so I, so I live in Salt Lake City and it's winter and I'm not into being cold outside. So I do all my winter bike training if I'm home um, on the trainer. So like today kind of seemed like it would mimic maybe an outdoor ride, but basically just kind of soft intervals to mix up the training. So I did um, like a 10 minute warm up, and then I did 70 minutes of kind of moderate efforts, um, like two minutes on, eight minutes off, four minutes on, six minutes off, just kind of building up a ladder and then down um, and just moderate. Um, so like tons of rest generally. And then I did another 70 minutes of it at a more medium effort. So we don't really, my training's all based on feel. Um, Obviously I'm aware of the Watts I'm capable of, but I'm not staring at the screen like, okay, I got to hit 200 Watts for this. So yeah, I did a round of medium or moderate and then a round of medium efforts. So nothing killer or crazy, but just, just kind of like getting my legs back in um, and, and used to pushing a little bit hard, but it wasn't crazy. Is it challenging not to be be so dialed into numbers or is it actually refreshing coming from your tax work just to kind of like tap into feel? Yeah, I, I really like it. Um, I think what I really appreciate it pre- appreciate about it is that I'm not defined by the numbers. Like I think before, um, like I used to train my prior coach, We there was a little more focus on the numbers. And so I, if I finished a session and I couldn't hit the numbers. I felt a little bit more of a failure. Like I didn't, I didn't like feeling uh, like the workout wasn't good if I didn't hit the numbers. Um, So it's, that's, I've been able to like shift my mindset, right. Where it's like, okay, um, well, usually I can hit 20 Watts higher than that, but I was literally trying the hardest I could. So that's my best for today. Um, I guess I just like that. There's not the pressure of here's what you need to hit today because Mm -hmm. that, what's a hard effort one day may be like not that hard another day. Like we just, that's just how it goes. Um, yeah. And so. you're, you I mean, your body's like, you're always changing. Your cells are always changing every yeah. day. You're going to be different. And like we touched upon with, with Paula, yeah. like things in, in her life are, mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. really in a good trajectory. Like there's things in our life, like, you know, d- different stresses, or maybe you had to clear the air with somebody before you got on exactly. the bike. And, you exactly. know, that's all going to uh, affect yeah. what, what those numbers are. And so with your training and you train with, you train with Cam Watt. Yeah, Cam's my coach. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so what does yeah. that training look like? Do you get, like, if it's feel like that, is it really customized to like, okay, how did you feel today? And now we're going to determine what tomorrow is. Um, that might be more of a question for Cam <laughs> since he's the one that tells me what to do. But he does, I, I pretty much get my training like the day before. I like, I don't know what I'm doing tomorrow. Yeah, even. I yeah. love that. Love that's that. that's no. how we train our, yeah. our athletes. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it makes it hard for planning sometimes, but... I just know that my life revolves around training and I think most people know that too. Um, and obviously if I have an appointment or something, I just put it in training peaks and cam plans around it as well. But yeah. Um, I mean, pretty much every day I'm in contact with cam either through training peaks comments or, um, you know, messaging on WhatsApp. And if I were, if I were in person with him, what would probably happen is like, I'd be at swim squad squad in the morning and then, like we all finish the swim and he'll like look at each of us and tell each of us what we're doing. <laughs> so literally you'll get it like an hour before you're supposed to do it. So yeah, I, I usually would go to Australia, you know, around this time to see Cam and train with my squad, but no one's going to Australia right now. <laughs> no one's going to Australia right now. <laughs> no. Are you, uh, are you missing, are you missing that, that community, uh, the community piece being in Salt Lake too? I mean, you're going to be indoors for, for a little while at least. Yeah. I mean, I'm, 
I, I might get out to the desert here later this month by myself, but, um, or with my husband, but, um, yeah, I miss, I do miss that. I mean, having squad mates and the social aspect and, you know, getting pushed, especially in the swim, um, it's really valuable to have cam on deck watching and then, you know, swimming with other people. I, I really miss that and, um, know how valuable that is, but I think we're doing the best we can with what, what we have. And hopefully at some point this year, I'll be able to get with cam on some continent somewhere. Um, but yeah, I actually, speaking of Daytona though, um, I had two, well, there's actually, there were three squad mates here. Um, so like I trained with Renee Kylie. I don't know if you've heard of her. She's, she's amazing. Um, oh yeah. You might want to look her up. You'd probably want to interview her too. Okay. Uh, yeah. She's great. Um, she was here training with me for like a month. So that was a huge gift. Like I couldn't believe how, how nice that was. Um, so I, I've gotten a little, my cups filled a little bit with like the squad training for the next little bit after having her here. So, so we talked about, um, mindset. We talked about some of the physical training, uh, nutrition. Mm-hmm. What, what mm-hmm. have you gleaned, um, for the importance of nutrition over these years as you continue to evolve as a professional? Yeah, that's such a good question and something I really am passionate about. Um, as I mentioned, I'm an accountant by education, so I don't have like this nutrition, nutritional science or something background. And obviously I'm not dumb. Like I knew, I learned very quickly sitting at a desk that like if you ate whatever you wanted and then sat for 15 hours a day, like your pants would get tighter. So like I learned that the first year. Um so I think that's where I really started getting a better grasp on like what I should and shouldn't eat to like feel good sitting at a desk, ironically, because um, even though I was at the desk that long, I still, you know, I didn't want to gain weight and I wanted to be relatively fit because I was still swimming or swimming, biking and running a lot um, for working full time. So yeah, but then as a professional athlete, it's just magnified, right? Um, and I think not even as a professional, I think anyone who's trying to make you know, gains or accomplish big goals in the endurance sport or any sport. Um, so I've actually really taken ownership of that. Like I've, I've met with a nutritionist um, and I've read books and there's a lot out there. Okay. I'm sorry. My dog's like barking to go. No, outside. I love Can it. You hear him? Yeah. I love it. <laughs> okay. We'll just leave it. <laughs> no, Maybe it's I- awesome. Maybe I'll go let him out. Go let him I don't out. Know. Yeah. Go let him out. Okay, I'll let him out. Yeah. Go let him out. <laughs> That's so awesome. He's like, I want to go play in the snow. I just didn't want it to turn into like this game of like, he'll think he wants out. And then he's like, no, I want to come back in. Yeah. And, then, and it's cold outside. Anyway, so the nutrition <laughs> thing. Um, no, I've taken a lot of ownership. Like I said, I met with like a, spor- a sports nutrition dietitian. I've read books and there's so much out there and there's so many diets and, you know, claims and everything. But I just realized that I needed to figure out what worked for me um, and kept me happy because like, I'm not going to starve myself. I'm not going to, I need to have a really healthy relationship with food and understand how it really can help my performance. And so just in the last couple of years, I feel like I've gotten to a really good place of knowing what I need to do to perform my best and to be at my best, um, like physical state for, uh, performance and racing. So I I'm pretty traditional. Like there's nothing crazy. I do. I just feel like I, I generally eat well, like real whole foods and in training, except in training, like in training, I'm, I'm all about like fueling my training carbs. I mean, whether it's a banana or like a handful of gummy worms, like literally just (laughs) like carbohydrates, fuel the training, um, recovery. I'm huge on getting in like a recovery shake immediately after a a tough session. Um, yeah. And then just eating well and all the fruits and veggies and, you know, good whole foods. So I try to stay away from too much refined. Like I don't do a lot of pasta or anything. I'd rather do like sweet potatoes versus, Mm. you know, some, a thing of, pasta or something. But yeah, I I think everyone has to figure out what works for them, but I don't try anything crazy. And I just, it really works for me to eat a lot when I'm training and recover. And I think that's a key for staying injury free, like not to toot my own horn and I'll knock on wood because I could, 
break my leg tomorrow or something crazy. <laughs> but like, I don't, my, my biggest injuries have been like from crashing my bike. Like I, I was, I hit the pavement going 30 miles an hour. That's why my bones broke. So, um, I don't, I don't get a lot of injuries or weird niggles. And I, I attribute that to really prioritizing nutrition and, and eating enough because you can't, you can't maintain the training and racing if you're not fueling your body well. Is that one of the, the would you say one of the big, biggest misconceptions is, as athletes, like trying to, trying to fight that, um, or not fight, but trying to find that relationship between the optimal weight and, and the food intake and performance. Whereas if you yeah. just sort of like uh, overfuel a little bit and then back off when you, when you feel appropriate um, versus going the other direction, is that, is that pretty accurate? Yeah. So I think from what I've seen and maybe what I've even experimented with is like not eating enough. And I think we really underestimate how powerful just feeding our bodies what they, what it needs um, can be in not only like enhancing our performance, but just helping us recover and stay healthy. Um, I, I'll tell anyone like as well, I would rather be a few pounds over ideal race weight or something than under because I don't want to risk injury. I don't want to risk burnout. I don't want to risk, you know, not finishing a race because I'm just so wrecked already. Like I, you never want to get to a start line feeling so depleted because you've been starving yourself or trying to obsessing over a weight or something. I just think, I just think there's so much power in being strong and well-fueled and in a good mental state. Cause like, let's be honest, anytime you really try to deprive yourself of something like it could be sleep, it could be food, it could be whatever, but like, it's not good for your mind. Like it's, you have to find a really healthy balance. And I feel like I've done that personally. Like, I feel like I've found that for myself. Um, and you kind of mentioned like, you know, getting to the place where maybe if you're trying to reach a race weight, then you need to maybe cut back on some things. But like, for me, that's as simple as, okay, I'm not going to eat um, like ice cream before bed. I'll have like some berries and a piece of dark chocolate instead. Like it's as simple as that, just cutting out maybe some things. But if it never, for me personally, the, the cutting out never comes from like my training fuel, never, or my recovery fuel. Um, yeah, like I, I don't... I don't mess with it. <laughs> Do you try and hit uh, a certain amount of calories per hour when you're training? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So my kind of method is um, I try to eat about half of the calories I think I'll burn. And of course, that varies a lot. But I feel like in training, usually it's like if I'm, if I'm doing a harder session, it's usually around 500 calories an hour, I would say. Um, and that could be on the light side, depending on how intense the session is. But yeah, I would say I aim to put in like two to 300 calories an hour. Um, if the session's over like 90 minutes, like an hour session, I wouldn't necessarily force down two or 300 calories, but that's the other thing with me. Like if you saw my training area, like I've got like stashes of, of, uh, nutrition kind of everywhere. Um, I, and even like, if I go on a five hour ride, I always overpack by probably like maybe like five to 600 calories because I just don't know how I'm going to feel that day. Like you can, some days you can get away with it and you can just have like one bar over two hours or three hours and you feel fine. But some days you're just starving. Like some days I am just hungry. And maybe that means I should have eaten more for dinner the night before, but then I listen to my body. Right. And really fuel during the session. Like I, I never would say, Oh, I'm not going to eat that if I'm hungry. Like you just, you just have to know when your body needs it. And I just, I give my body what it needs. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's so important. Like it's, I've, I went out the other day for a ride and towards the end, like I could tell I was running out of Yes. fuel. And I'm like, yeah. what? that's so silly. Why did I do that? You know? Yeah. And it's like, okay, note to self now yes. apply that for your next session. Like, don't, don't do this again. Like that's, yeah. that's such a silly mistake to make, but it's that contrast, right? It's that yes. reminder because yeah. maybe I was getting a little too automatic or whatever. Yeah. And it's that reminder to kind of bring me back to the basics. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and it's like, sometimes I'll just throw in a couple extra gels cause they're little and Maybe I wouldn't normally eat gels, but man, if you're bonking or if you feel like your body needs it, like you'll be so glad you have that 
gel that maybe you don't really like. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah. The yeah. bottom of the drawer. Oh my god, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're totally at the bottom of the drawer gels right now. Like I'm having orange. I'm like, oh. <laughs> but super grateful when I need it. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. As we wrap this up. Um, I just want to touch again back on this mental piece and see if you have any words that you can share for somebody who, you know, maybe battles with the with doubt or mm-hmm. uh, a lack of self belief or confidence, and um, and that always kind of seems like their wall of resistance, even though they've got big goals, even though they're showing up for the work. Yeah, um, this is also something I feel very strongly about. I just think. I think we all, we all need to be like our biggest cheerleader um, because I just really feel like no one else can care about what we want to accomplish more than ourselves, um, no matter what, right? Because even, even like your partner or something, they care deeply about you, but we are the ones who have to live with our everyday choices and with what we've accomplished and things. So I just think... Um, we all need to be kind to ourselves and we all need to really believe in ourselves like no one else can. Um, and, and don't worry about what anyone else thinks because we're all caught up in our own worlds, right? Like we're all caught up in what we're trying to do and we have to live with ourselves. So um, if there's something that someone believes that they can do, then, then do it and go for it. And you don't need to explain it to anyone. And yeah, some people might think you're a bit crazy and, um, whatever, but there's so much power in self-belief. And I think the people who are the most successful, like they believe in themselves and they, they work really hard for what they want. And yeah, having great support really helps. And it absolutely does. And I hope everyone has some form of support from someone or a group or whatever. But, um, at the end of the day, like the motivation and the drive has to come from within and, um, yeah, that might be a muscle some people really have to work on as well, but it's it's very powerful, so. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate yeah. um, your generosity and sharing all your wisdom with us today. It was so nice to spend this time with you. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank yeah, you so much, Yeah, thank Scott. you. Yeah, thank you so much. Great to chat with you both. <laughs>